Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burugun campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. So please be seated. Wonderful to be together this morning. And thank you to the music team. They're a wonderful job, aren't they? Just so good to us week by week. Let's give them a clap. They're so good, and I must say, I just needed that time this morning. Uh, it's been a tough week for me in many ways, and just to be able to sit or stand as we were in the presence of God with you all, and just the Spirit washing over me, uh, it was just a great blessing. It's just great to gather together, isn't it? Yeah. And when we do, things happen, and God's people gather together. So that's fantastic. Well, following on from Kingdom Stirrings, I just want to thank you all too for your affirming feedback and encouragement over those two weeks. Great blessing to Nick and I. But we're launching now into a new series, and I believe a significant series where we'll be listening to the voice of Jesus in his sermon, in his Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5 to 7. Of course, the so-called Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' message in his own words to us. Isn't that amazing? And it's a message on the way of life that comes down from above, comes down from heaven to earth and is lived in us and is lived through us, the life of the kingdom of God on earth that we cannot live in our own strength. We cannot live this life in our own natural giftings or earn it in any way. It's a gift from God to us. It's very important, I think, to emphasise at the outset when we look at the sermon that we cannot separate Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount from the Gospel message. That is so critical. If we do, the sermon becomes either frustrating idealism or oppressive legalism. We can't do it ourselves. The sermon doesn't outline what we must do to receive the kingdom or earn God's approval. Rather, the sermon outlines the way of the kingdom of God what the kingdom of God is like and its impact on the world. It's wonderful. See, Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. And he lives, doesn't he? Jesus lives in the heart of every believer. The fullness of God lives in every one of us. The fullness of God in every one of us. Now, that's an amazing thing to contemplate, isn't it? that the fullness of God is in us. And what a privilege. And so what do we have? We have this great privilege to possess more of the kingdom of God and to be changed and to be shaped by the kingdom and to allow the character of the kingdom to break out of our lives and into the world more and more. The beautiful thing. You know, the Sermon on the Mount helps us to ascertain at any point in time in our lives 
the authenticity of our faith, and that's important, and also the health of our spiritual lives. You see, Jesus graciously puts up a mirror for us to see ourselves and for us to see him and the kingdom of God. And he does that so that we might be changed. And as we allow his words to penetrate our hearts, to change us and to shape us, um, unhelpful patterns in our lives, unhelpful things in our lives can be dealt with. We can be changed. Can I say that this sermon has been absolutely instrumental in my spiritual formation? Day in and day out, this sermon, particularly what I'm going to preach today, is changing me day by day. I will never be at a point where what I'm preaching today is fully perfected in my life. It's ongoing for all of us, the sermon. So let's begin with the very first words that Jesus spoke in the sermon. And they're recorded for us in Matthew chapter 5, 3, verses 3 to 10. They're up on the screen there. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And that's how Jesus started his sermon. The clearest sign that you and me have received the gospel news is that we become and we go on becoming the type of people that Jesus is outlining here in the first eight verses of his sermon. It's often referred to as the Beatitudes, aren't they? The Beatitudes. For we become people who possess the beautiful attitudes of the kingdom of God. The Beatitudes actually outline the character of every Christian person. And we're not perfected. It's ongoing. And so the eight Beatitudes, Jesus, really what he's doing is painting a portrait of those who have received the kingdom of heaven and are being filled and go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting to see and to read there that the first word that Jesus uttered was the word blessed. And then each of the nine sentences that followed in his sermon began with the word blessed. Blessed are you, blessed, blessed are you. To be blessed is to be given the potency and the power to live the abundant life of God and to enjoy the goodness and the beauty of that life. See, blessed here doesn't just mean happy. In fact, what Jesus is saying here, he's not declaring how 
we might feel. What Jesus is doing is declaring what God thinks of you. He sees you as blessed and he's blessed you, which is an amazing thing. So God says you are blessed. You are empowered to live and to change and to grow and have your unique being in him. That's what he's saying when he uses the word, meaning you're in a beautiful place. We're in a beautiful place. You're aligned with the way things are and the way things should be. You have God's smile on your face. You have God's approval. You're blessed and becoming who you shall be. As I mentioned earlier, we're all on a journey. We're all work in progress. God continues to work in our hearts and Jesus is at work in my heart in each of these Beatitudes. I've made it in none of them, but they're there in my life and the Beatitudes will continue to be instrumental in my spiritual formation and I trust in yours. And so I want to briefly look at each of these character statements. It's a big ask, but I want to briefly look at them and just want to encourage you to listen to Jesus' voice speaking to you personally in these Beatitudes. See, the character statements, they're paradoxical. They're paradoxical to the natural world because what they do is they tip everything in the world upside down. And so they're paradoxes. First, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Because the paradox here is the richness of poverty. The poor are rich. And poor in spirit does not mean of no value or without self-worth or without talents and giftings or being a shy, retiring person. No, it doesn't mean that. There are a couple of words in the New Testament uh, that we uh, translate poor. And the one here means beggarly poor, the poorest of the very poor. That's the word here. A poverty so deep that your only hope of living is by begging, being fully dependent on the giving of another. So the blessed are those who are beggarly poor in spirit, not poor necessarily in finances, not necessarily poor in possessions, For the gospel is not an exclusive gospel to a social class. The gospel is for everyone. And so the Lord is talking about poor in spirits. So he's actually talking about this acknowledgement of spiritual bankruptcy. Have you got to that point? Of spiritual bankruptcy. Where you know you come empty-handed and you know that you need God. You can't get on without him. Knowing you can't do life on your own. You're a dependent person with an awareness that you don't have the moral fibre, the moral virtues to please God and to live well. See, the beatitude could could have been, or can be, since they could have been, because that's what the Lord uh, said. But um, 
It could have been translated this way, blessed are those who realise that they have nothing within themselves to commend them to God. Theirs and only theirs is the kingdom of God. And I wonder if God is speaking to you even in this beatitude this morning. This is a foundational beatitude. If poverty of spirit is poverty of spirit, an ongoing characteristic of your life. Do you maintain a healthy prayer life or do you think you can get on quite well on your own? You know, are you a competent and talented person such that pride and self-sufficiency can creep into your life? Do you believe that you're essentially a good person and therefore can get on without God and God will accept you just as you are? See, our weakness is occasion for his strength. That's when we're strong, when we're weak. Our inadequacy for his adequacy, our poverty for his riches. And that's where Jesus starts the sermon. We are beggarly poor without him. And he makes that very clear. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Again, a paradox. Mourning to be comforted. What do you mean? Sounds odd. See, Jesus doesn't mean blessed of the miserable, the sad. Wouldn't that be horrible? The overly serious or those who cannot have a bit of fun and laugh and enjoy life. See, humour and laughter is, uh, is good and essential. In fact, good medicine for the soul, according to Proverbs. Jesus doesn't mean any of that. Jesus means blessed are those who mourn over sin and see what sin really is and what sin is doing to you and to me and to the world, the impact, the devastating and horrific impact sin has. We grow to hate it. Because we know what it does to people. It destroys them. It ruins them. And it ruins the world. And Jesus shows us the necessity of seeing our own sin and the sin of the world, but always in the context of seeing him who is our comforter, him who is our redeemer, him who is able to change us. And, for, and to deal with sin in our lives. And the Greek word here for comfort has its root from the, from the word uh, paraclete. And you've all heard that one referring to the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside, he comforts us. He personally binds up our sorrows, consoles us and empowers us to go on and into the abundant life that the Lord has given us. He is our divine companion the Holy Spirit of God, God in us and with us. The verse could well read, Blessed, approved of God are those who mourn over sin, their own sin and the sin that poisons the world, for they and only they will be comforted. So I wonder if Jesus is speaking to you from this beatitude this morning. Now, do you tolerate sin in your life? And become accepting of it? Or do you grieve sin and ongoingly receive that beautiful gift 
of repentance and the comfort of forgiveness and restoration that comes from God. See, the world hates sorrow. Do you notice that? The world hates it. Goes to great lengths to avoid it with things like activities and entertainment and even plastic smiles to cover over the sorrow and the heartache that's in here. Do you do that? See, mourning opens to us God's unspeakable comfort and joy. Beautiful. See, true Christianity shows itself in what we cry over and what we laugh about. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. A paradox here is that the gentle get it all. It's all theirs, the gentle. Not the seemingly strong and smart and ambitious people, contrary to our culture, really. And the word meek or gentle here doesn't mean weak, doesn't mean shy, doesn't mean timid, it doesn't mean spineless or just being a nice person. No, no, no. The classical Greek word here was actually used to describe a tamed animal. A strong wild animal, for example, like a lion that's tamed and trained. So the word implies strength under, or strength and self-control. And so gentleness or meekness is strength under control. And that's God. You'll find no one stronger than the Lord himself, but every bit of his strength and power is under absolute control. And that's God's heart for us. The truly gentle person is strong, but they're in control. See, the strength that we have comes from a deep trust in the sovereign power of God. That's where it comes from, to trust in his strength, not our own, which takes the fight out of us. And it should take the fight out of us as we go on. We don't just have to look after ourselves, for we know that God is for us. And that God is working all things out for good in the end. Can we submit to him in all of that? I wonder if Jesus is speaking to you from this beatitude. Is there a harshness in your life? Or even a sharp tongue? Do you always have to stand up and fight for your rights? Fight for your place? Are you quick to retaliate or shame other people? Are you prone to outbursts of anger when things don't quite work out as you would like? It's Jesus by the Spirit who can take the fight and the anger out of us, can deal with it, and give us rest and the strength to be a gentle person. Only Jesus. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Naturally, it's said you become what you eat and drink. You heard that? Yep, diet's important for our bodies, our physical bodies. Well, it's the same with our spiritual health. We become what we feed on for life satisfaction. You know, if you primarily feed on material things or career, uh, wealth or image or sex 
or the next exciting event coming up to be fully satisfied, you will eventually personify these things. See, Jesus sets out the appetite, the menu that brings spiritual well-being and ultimate satisfaction in our lives. Not that the things, those other things that I mentioned are wrong. Do you remember that Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you as well. See, the righteousness that Jesus speaks of here is about living in right relationships. Right relationships, right relatedness to God, right relatedness to one another, right relatedness to the created order, which leads to living a life that's aligned with the way God has designed everything to function. So it's about a passionate desire to live in line with God's intention and God's will. We hunger and thirst for the character of the kingdom of God, more and more formed in us, and the beautiful fruit of the Spirit being worked through our lives and being realised in our lives. See, the verse could read, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst like the starving do for food and the thirsty for water, for righteousness, right relatedness, for they and only they will be fully satisfied. And I wonder if Jesus is speaking to you this morning from this beatitude. Have you lost the hunger you once had for Jesus or his word? This happens in all our lives at different points. Have you lost the joyful desperation for the things of God that you once had? Have the realities of life taken over and the hunger for righteousness almost ceased as you settle for a lesser life or more limited devotion? Are you feeding on other things to enjoy life and be fulfilled? Like social media, you're feeding on that. Or your job or possessions, friends, events, holidays. Nothing wrong with them. But what's first? Where's your real hunger? Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. See, mercy is compassion in action. The merciful are those who help to relieve someone else's distress or misery. Not just feeling compassion, but mercy exists when something is done to relieve the distress. Our Christmas offering uh, to the folk affected by the, the explosion in Beirut and Lebanon is an example of not just feeling sad for them, but doing something about it and sending some aid. Of course, Jesus on the cross is the supreme example of mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. And he did. He saw where we were, what we were in, the mess that we are in. And he had mercy. He did something about it. See, and the merciful person remembers God's mercy toward them and their frailty. And so they take action. James says, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I love it because it's true. 
Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, it's important to see that we cannot merit God's mercy by performing acts of mercy. Salvation is by grace alone. But showing real mercy is evidence we have received God's mercy. And it's like we forgive. Why do we forgive? We forgive because we know that we have been forgiven. It's in us to forgive. Could read, blessed approved of God are the merciful, those whose compassion leads to right actions, for they and only they will be shown mercy. And I wonder if Jesus is speaking to you from this beatitude. Are you merciful? Or do people need to earn or deserve your help? Are you a critical or judgmental person? A justice-only person? Do you show mercy towards those who are in physical or economic distress? Does that rise in your heart? Do you refuse to show mercy by holding on to hurts and to grudges and not extending forgiveness? Are you caught in bitterness? Bitterness comes in all our lives at different times and some of us get caught. Mercy is a great healer. I could tell you that. Blessed are those, I know, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Paradox, again, seeing the invisible God. Sounds a bit odd. Strange. But there is significantly more happening in the world than we can see with these eyes. We cannot see God with these eyes. But God is bigger than anything else in the world that we will ever see. But we can't see him with these eyes. See, the gift of physical sight is wonderful. But do we have 2020 spiritual sight? So we see God with these eyes. We see God with our inward eyes. We've been made to see him and to know him. You know, the physically deaf and blind Helen Keller, most of you know Helen Keller, said this, better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. How true is that? See, the word pure here means free from the stain of sin. How good is that? And there are two ideas happening, the whole idea of cleansing and of washing and the other idea of single devotedness to God, no mixed or divided devotion. Psalm 24, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord and stand in his holy place? And the response is, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol. In Ezekiel 36, God said, I will cleanse you, I will cleanse you from all uncleanness and from your idols and give you a new heart 
and put a new spirit within you. You see, that's the gospel. That's the gospel message. We begin to see God on the pages of Scripture. We begin to see God in one another. We begin to see God in the creation. We begin to see God in life events, even difficult circumstances. We see God at work in those difficult circumstances. We taste and we see that God is good. We have eyes that can see God. Let's use them. The more we mature in God, the more we see him and his ways and the more we become like him. And one day we will see him face to face and there will be unspeakable joy. We cannot comprehend that day. Blessed, approved of God, of the pure in heart, those with a clean, unmixed heart for God, for they shall continually see God in this life and in eternity. And I wonder if God is speaking to you from this beatitude. He's speaking to me from every one of them as I speak. Have you left your first love? Have you gotten dirty on the way of life and need your feet washed? Do you see God at work in your life? Do you see God at work in others? Do you see God at work in the creation? Are you tasting and are you seeing the goodness of God? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. You know, one of the great constants of history is war. Not only warring within and between nations, but warring between friends, warring within families, warring in churches. And this is the climax, actually, of the Beatitudes. The first seven uh, to do with character. And this is the climactic one because God's master plan is to reconcile everything in heaven and on earth in Jesus. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And that's what he's about in the earth. Peace, shalom, meaning wholeness and health and overall well-being, this beautiful reality of oneness and unity and harmony, everything in its right place, fully satisfied and able to function as it was intended to. But in the context of the whole, Creation, the whole creation functioning together as God intended. Every part fulfilled, the whole fulfilled. That's peace when that happens and that will happen. See, God not only brings inner peace to our troubled hearts, but he makes us instruments of peace. Those who mediate peace in the lives and situations they come in contact with. See, peacemaking describes someone who actively pursues peace pursues more than the absence of conflict, but wholeness and well-being. A peacemaker is not someone who's always tolerant, for goodness sake, or an appeaser or a peacekeeper, peace at any cost, which simply postpones conflict, doesn't deal with it. A peacemaker is first honest 
about the state of relationships, not plastering over the cracks, not saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. They don't say everything's okay when it's not okay. A peacemaker is willing to do the difficult thing, risk the pain and the failure, the pain of apologising for your wrong, the pain of going to someone and confronting them about their wrongs. Need to be careful with that. But the temptation is to let things slide. Jesus let nothing slide. Hoping, you know, we can just hope it's all going to resolve itself. But a peacemaker, you know, actively pursues peace. They wage peace. The scriptures encourage us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, to pursue peace, what makes for peace, and for the mutual building up as far as it has to do with you, live peaceably with all. You know, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Let's exercise this beautiful gift that we have in Christ as best we can. See, a peacemaker is permeated with the shalom of God, gentle and wise, merciful and sincere, loving and humble with ego in hand. How beautiful is that? Peacemakers are filled with the peace themselves and promote in each other everything that makes for peace. But peacemaking is not cheap. And we know that. And we look at the cross and we know it's not cheap. He saw the gravity. Nothing swept under the carpet with our Lord. So I wonder if Jesus is speaking to you from this beatitude, this final character beatitude. Are you a peacekeeper or a peaser or a peacemaker? Do you spread rumours and gossip so seeds of division and unwittingly destroy people's characters and reputations? Are you prone to jealousy? Do you actively pursue peace when conflicts and dissensions arise? These are the things that the Lord challenges us all with in our hearts. And the seventh beatitude shows us the beautifully, well, the, sorry, the, or the eighth beatitude, but the first seven are just showing us really the beautiful character of those who are in the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of heaven has been worked out on earth in your life. And then there's this eighth beatitude. It tells us that there'll be trouble. There'll be a clashing with the spirit of the kingdom of this world. And so we will experience persecution of various forms. But Jesus says, you are blessed, approved of God. God's smile is upon you. And yours is the everlasting kingdom of heaven. Rejoice, says the Lord, and be glad, for great is your reward. And so as we running out of time, I'll have an opportunity. Just let these things, though, keep these things, if the Lord's speaking to you in your heart, but we have an opportunity now to come to the Lord's table. 
an opportunity as we do to open our hearts to him. And if he's speaking to us, to respond to him. And to remember, to remember this, that God became a human person to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth in human flesh and blood and to make a way for you and me to enter the kingdom of God and to be partakers of the heavenly life. That way was costly. It's the way of the cross where Jesus was not only persecuted but he suffered incomprehensible suffering for the joy that was set before him. And that joy was you and me entering the kingdom of light, entering the kingdom of heaven, to be with him both now and forever. That was the joy on his heart as he went to the cross. And so if it's your desire for Jesus to rule in your heart. See, a king rules. If it's your desire for Jesus to rule in your heart, then when you're ready, you have the uh, elements there, please feel free to partake of them, the bread and the wine, representing his body and his blood. And if you haven't received the elements, you don't have them, please raise your hand and someone will come. Thank you, ushers, and uh, serve you where you are. But just take this time now to partake in your own time with the bread and the wine and come and speak to the Lord, respond to the Lord in your heart.
Lord, you have blessed us with your life, your heavenly life. And Lord, our hearts are to possess more of what you've given us. Lord, to be changed, to be shaped. Lord, more into the character of your own life, to be more like you as people, individually and corporately, that your name will be known among us all the more. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together now as we come to our final song. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.